Welcome into the Inside Bassmaster podcast presented by Black Rifle Coffee Company, episode 146. And Ronnie Moore here, your host, along with my co-host, as always, Kyle Jesse. And Kyle, we are talking Bassmaster Opens today. We have three Opens left, three opportunities for the Bassmaster Classic left, and all three of those tournaments are going to be so, so key in our points race. And the next stop in the Open season takes us to Watts Bar in East Tennessee, that event's going to be later this week, September 14th through the 16th. Super excited to get to East Tennessee, even though it could be a little bit of a wild card for our schedule. Yeah, no question. I think this tournament, based on the location and the time of the year, is one of the ones that most guys probably circled on the, the calendar and thought, I'm not sure how this is going to go. I think we've heard that directly from some of our anglers. Um, you know, naturally, this time of year, it's not easy easy fishing in the south uh tennessee river doesn't really matter where you're fishing to be honest um unless you're up north the fishing's gonna be tough so certainly one of those that's not gonna be a slug fest i'd be willing to go out and say that without any problem um but you know it, se it seems like I i'm i'm anxious to see how it plays out but it seems like guys have have said in the last few years that the watts bar is kind of making a comeback um, and then we've seen tournaments where it, it, you know, it's, it's not really appeared that way. So, uh, it'll be interesting to see the combination of tough time of the year to be fishing and a, you know, a body of water that a lot of these guys haven't fished a lot. I would guess, even if you're from that area, a lot of guys fish, you know, um, Chickamauga, Nickajack, um, and then, you know, obviously South of there as well. So, um, definitely going to be an interesting tournament and I'm uh, excited to see how it's going to play out for sure. I got the opportunity to fish Watts Bar in college. We had a Bassmaster Regional there. I fished it solo, actually, and it was probably one of the best practices I've ever had in my life. I think it was around May because it was 2014 when we had Bass Fest at Chickamauga, and I think it was May, maybe June. It was early ledge bite, obviously, at Chickamauga, but catching them on docks and stuff at Watts Bar. Uh, obviously, we've seen the college classic bracket that Cody Huff won. That was at Watts Bar in the fall probably around the September, early October portion of year. And uh, the deal was there. The grass was pretty topped out. And and there were some really thick areas of that. Uh, proved to be tough fishing. Like you said, when you see some of these weights come out in March and April or February in some places, you kind of have to have them with a grain of salt at times because that could be when the fish are their biggest, when the bite is the best. Uh, like I told Tommy Sanders in our uh, elite series schedule show that we did just a uh, just a few days ago when we announced the elite schedule I told him I said we can't have every event in April otherwise we would we can't have nine elite events in April most of the time that's the best time of the year to fish we can't do it some places have to be a little bit of a curveball a little tough but we always see something new about it so uh, excited to get to Watts Bar. We will have Bassmaster live coverage of this event on Fox Sports 1 and on Bassmaster.com on Saturday the 16th the final day of this tournament and Kyle, as we get down to it, each and every day, there's nine days left in the season and only six guaranteed days for the field. You're not guaranteed to make the top 10. So what's your guarantee is a full field days. Looking at our points race, we have obviously three classic opportunities left. Looking at the points race, JT Tompkins with a seven-point lead over Kenta Kamira. Kenta's not factoring in the qualification process because he's already on the elites and in good standing. He's on the he's on the elites for 2024 and beyond. Uh, John Garrett would be then second place technically in the qualification pecking order, 20 points behind JT Tompkins. John Garrett's been the points leader for most of the season up to this point. Trey McKinney's about 33 points behind John. And then you got Robert G, 16 points behind. Keith Tuma, 14 more points behind. It seems like there starts to get a little bit of a gap, you know, 15 to 20 spots per, per spot. And then there'll be a cluster of guys within 10 points, you know, three or four guys within 10 points. Um, Making up 15 to 20 points on an angler, if you're trying to pass one dude, that's that's not that difficult in the opens because of the 200-plus boat field. So this points race is still up for grabs. I think it's 100 points from JT Tompkins to Bobby Lane. It's 100 – It's a, sorry, it's 100 points from 10th place, which is Brett Cannon, to um, Bobby Lane, roughly 60, 70 points, something like that. I'm getting my numbers all mixed up. 60 to 120 points if you want to be outside in the top 20 of points to get into the top 10. So I think that it's still way up for grabs when you look at the points race, Kyle. Yeah, no question. And I think that, 
you know, we talked about it early on in the season that the schedule really tailors to not like one specific thing. Like it is a very diverse schedule. Um, it's going to have, you know, it has had to this point, a lot of different, um, you know, styles of tournaments, um, tournaments, one off the bank on the bank, a variety of things. And I think that this is kind of the turning point where we talked about, you know, the guys that are, that are grinders. I mean, these are, these are the tournaments that can absolutely be bombs for guys or be tournaments that, you know, with that mental fortitude to, you know, grind it out for three days, guys can jump from, like you said, way down, set, you know, hundred points away and, and have a chance in the last two events. So um, it'll certainly be interesting. I think that anytime you're talking about the elites, the opens, whatever it may be, um, it seems like it always comes down to the final day, but the opens are crazy. It seems like every year, even in the past where it was divisional, um, you truly didn't know until the, like the, the official email came out from bass of the, uh, the standings of, of what everything was going to be. Uh, and I suspect the, you know, the, the final two or three spots will be the same way this year to the final day of the season. Yeah. I mean, if you think about it, I'm not expecting people to, to weigh three bass in or two bass in like five bass is what we expect every guy to weigh in. But when you get to September, October for some of these last places that we're going, excuse me, uh, it reminds me of the end of the 2022 season when it came to qualification for the elite series, Sam Rayburn was the last place. Keith Combs ends up winning that event to make the classic. He's already in the elites, but he needed to make the classic. He did so. But I just remember Logan Latuso being inside the qualification line for the elite series, then only having three fish for five pounds and change on day one, dropping way out. He's in 105th place or something like that, or 101st place gets 31 pounds on day two and jumps all the way up to the lead of the tournament ends up finishing second place. He only had four fish on the final day, but think about this. Logan Lutuso made a top 10 in our first elite series event of the year, just narrowly missed the classic. He was like the sixth or he was like the seventh or eighth rookie um, in the point in the race right there had a decent season making, you know, half the cuts of the year, but that all doesn't happen. If you look at his day one and his day three weights, he had a combined seven bass for 13 pounds. He had one huge day. Your season's on the line. You got to catch them and boom, 31 pounds pops up on your on your spot and you end up catching them and you end up being in the top 10, jumping 100 points up, getting back into clock to qualification and and it's all history from there. So we're going to see some big swings. You're going to see some guys that are going to take some risks to gain points, and it's going to connect. Some guys are going to fish their way out of the elites each event, and some guys are going to keep their name in the hat. And when you get to the kind of the Harris chain at the end of the year in October, big fish, big weight potential, you could end up having a guy who's 15, 20 points out, goes and pops a top 10 and qualifies on the final day of the season. So we'll keep an eye on that. The other thing we need to keep an eye on, is the classic line we said there's three spots available right now the top 42 in the elite series points race are in the classic that would be all the way down to cole sands last man in by one point over david gaston by a couple more points over scott martin and bill lowen is waiting below those guys so david gaston scott martin and bill lowen are the three guys that pray it somehow moves down the list to them based on an angler winning the event that didn't fish that full division. So these guys who are fishing Watts bar, maybe they're just a solo event person. If they, if they cherry pick and jackpot it and win it, they're not going to the classic. If they only fished, what is it? St. Lawrence river bugs Island and uh, Watts bar is for that division. If you only fished one or two of them, you're not making the classic. It'll move down one. David Gaston's hoping it moves down at least one. Scott Martin's hoping at least two of the three and, Kyle, before we have our guest jump on to preview the event, let's talk about Watts Bar, Ozarks, and Harris Chain. That's three regions of the country where local jackpotting is like is a local pastime. East Tennessee, the Ozarks, and Central Florida. I mean, the odds are there that possibly one of those three events gets won by someone not in a full division that uh, maybe bumps it down to the elite standings, just one more spot. Let's just go ahead and predict it right now. If you had to guess how many spots we're going to work down, is it going to be one, zero, two, or do you think it's going to be a miraculous three? I'll say one, and I'll be specific. I think it's going to happen at the Ozarks. Okay. I'm thinking one as well. Uh, I don't know exactly where I think it's going to be. Uh, I could definitely see Ozarks being the one for sure, because there's guys, it's weird. Like, 
the the I know Lake of the Ozarks is not a White River lake, but those style of lakes in the in that portion of the country, uh, it seems like the guys that are good, like, like the local guys that are good, are like significantly better than the competition. <laughs> so I could easily see that tournament being won by uh, you know somebody just jackpotting it. So I I can get I can get behind that suggestion for sure. I, I will say though. I'm not, we haven't seen a ton of dropouts from the EQ race, you know, 175 started the year and, and it's still ha- holding steady a pretty good amount. But with that final event being about a month after the other events, we could see some drop off, which allows some single sure. entrances come in on that final one that, that may up the odds for the final one happening. But um, I got my eyes on a couple, couple guys in the EQ race who are toughing it out for maybe a classic shot if they're, if they're not in the points race, but Our guest today, Kyle, we mentioned it. He's been leading the points race for most of the season. He has now dropped back to third place, which would be second place in the pecking order for qualification. And that is none other than John Garrett, Bethel University's finest. Uh, He's made the Bassmaster Classic at Lake Conroe. Um, A few years ago, he won the 2016 College Classic bracket and then made the 2017 Bassmaster Classic. Uh, He's been so, so close the last few years in qualifying for the Elite Series, and he's in a prime position to do so going into Watts Bar in his home state. And there he is. We got our guest, John Garrett. John, we've got three events left in the the open season. Uh, Just a a general, you know, how are you feeling at this point in the season with three to go? Never safe. (laughs) Never safe with uh, all the good anglers we have uh, fishing the opens. Um, I'd rather be where I'm at than trying to play catch up, but uh, not safe. I want to keep trying to catch him through the next three tournaments for sure. And we were just talking about that. You've led the points race for most of the season. And then JT Tompkins passed you uh, just by a few points at the St. Lawrence River. Now that you're not the top dog, I, I mean, you've been in this situation before inside the classic qualifier or elite qualification and with a few events left or just outside needing to make up the points. You said you'd rather be inside, but what's this season been like for John Garrett? Because after the first four events of the season, basically the entire top eight of the race all made top tens in like every event. So there was no letting up. You guys started off strong and kept it going so far through, you know, two thirds of the season. Man, the, for me, my season has been all except maybe two days this year have been flawless almost, like not losing fish, um, you know, getting a random big bite each day, making good decisions, um, just really a, a flawless season all except two days this year. And that's kind of what you have to have um, to have a chance to make it make make the elites. No mechanical breakdowns, like I said, you know, big bites every day and uh, good decisions. So I, I've been really blessed this year. The only difference in the St. Lawrence tournament, I was going in with a lead and it was such a vast body of water. You know, we all, we all know it gets rough. There's a lot of miles. I tried to play it safe. And I, I guess looking back on it, I did. I saved the, you know, got some decent points out of it. But that's kind of why I got jumped and some people did better than I did because. I have not played safe all year. I played safe for the St. Lawrence. And with these guys, there's no playing safe. I mean, everybody goes for all they can go for. So the next three, they're, I'm not going to be playing it safe either. Don't get me wrong. I'm going to keep an eye out for a limit each day, but um, fish to win, really. So obviously, Ronnie mentioned it. Obviously, you've been in this position before. You know, with three events left, like what, what is your mindset as far as like, do you have like a number in your head? Like, don't finish lower than this in any event, or are you just keeping that completely out of your mind and you're just trying to catch them each and every day? I uh, I have looked at it, and I hear people all the time say they don't look at points or what they have to do or don't have to do. But what I know, I, I what I can't afford is the bomb. So you know, kind of going into each practice, the first thing on my first day is like, how can I get some keeper bites? So like, Watts Bar, Ozarks, Harris chain you know the first half day or day or day and a half however long it takes me to figure out a way I could catch a limit that's my goal right off the bat and then if I could figure out how to get a few bites get fish in the boat uh, that first little bit of practice then I go looking for how do I get a better quality bite in the boat so John when it comes to the Watts bar event specifically that's what we're previewing on this episode of the podcast 
I believe you fished there a couple times, at least. And then you've also been able to watch your Bethel teammates compete there. Cole and Carter and Cody and Garrett all fished the bracket um, there a few years ago. What are your thoughts about Watts Bar overall? We've talked about how, you know, it was considered on the downtrend and then it was considered on the uptrend. But the couple events that have been national events that have been there have been during difficult times. So it maybe hasn't showcased it. So what are your expectations there on getting bites? It's in your home state, even though it's on the opposite end of the state that you're in, but it's a place that maybe might be a little more familiar than at least our last two stops of the season. Yeah, I've spent probably the fewest days on Watts Bar than any of the other TVA leagues, mainly because it is a TVA lake, but it doesn't set up like a TVA lake. And it's just not as fun as the other ones, I would say that. Um, you know, going back five or six years ago, Watts Bar was one of the best lakes on the chain. They've had a really bad downhill fall, fish kills, not good spawns, water fluctuation. And it's a tough place to fish now. Um, kind of going into it, it's like, you know, they're starting to have a few spawns like last year and year before. So there are some smaller fish in there, but getting some quality, you know, keeper bite, you know, fish bigger than 15 inches or smallmouth bigger than 18 inches. Those are just not easy to come by for sure. So how do you go for it then? When you said playing it safe at St. Lawrence, but you didn't play it safe the rest of the year up to that point, how do you go for it in a place where keepers with the bigger size limit are harder to get like how, what is going for it for John Garrett and then also you mentioned you didn't want to bomb what what do you consider a bomb in a 220 boat field uh, what what number position so you know that, that those are the two things how are you going for it on a stingy place and what's a bomb to John Garrett uh, a bomb for me is something below 75th um, the past few years in the opens I know we haven't had the same kind of race each year I'll have one tournament in the 100s. And if you get below that 80, 100 range, you have to have two very good tournaments to make up for it. You can't really do a 100 and then do a first. You know, it, it averages out, but like, if you go below 80, you gotta have two back-to-back -back really good tournaments to make up for it. So anything below 75th, that's what I'm saying to bomb. And to go for it in this tournament is, of course, gotta catch a limit, not to bomb. Um, but like I said, in practice, find a way to catch a limit, spend the rest of my time trying to figure out how to produce some better bites. So, you know, hopefully if the tournament goes right, I'd say going for it is picking up some keepers early and then stop fishing for keepers and fish for three plus pound bites. You know, whether that leads to one or, or five of them, you know, that's what I'm going to say go for it. That, that way I'm playing it safe by not bombing but also still trying to win the tournament. So, you know, kind of mixing those things up. There's very few times where I find a pattern that I feel confident enough in that I can run it all day and for sure get five big bites and try to win the tournament. So find a way to catch keepers and then hopefully find a way to catch two, three, four of those, you know, three pound bites to try to go for it, like you're saying. So what you're saying is that you're going to throw a 10-inch glide bait for three days in a row. <laughs> uh, I don't know, but maybe a crappie jig. Um, <laughs> so I, yeah. I wanted to get into that. Maybe some. a 10XD. So you know? Yeah. So, you know, you kind of mentioned it. Uh, Watts Bar is a unique place in the sense that it's surrounded by extremely popular lakes on the Tennessee River um, that get a, a ton of pressure and a lot of recognition. Um, just for the viewer, obviously, this is going to be on Bassmaster Live. For the viewer, like, what can we expect types of fishing? What do you think will play? You don't have to get too specific on, you know, what you'll be doing necessarily. But um, just from an overall perspective, like, what do you think will be will play in this tournament? It is going to be, if, any, if, if anyone followed the Oklahoma tournament you follow, it's going to be very similar to that. It's not going to be your typical TVA, I'm going to find a school of fish. Like I'm not look, you're not looking for one honey hole out there. You're looking for a way to just a junk fish. Whether you go up in a river and junk fish up shallow, or you stay on that middle to lower end and junk fish offshore. You know, looking for isolated bites. You know, a stump, a brush pile, or a piece of rock, um, a lay down on the bank, or a patch of grass. You know, it's it's gonna be one of those deals where I'm not saying it's not out there. There's not going to be 
very many, if any, places you could pull up to and catch a limit. It's going to be a all-day deal to get what you need at the end, end of the day. So um, one of those deals where you have to fish hard all day and pick fish off and just kind of fish by the seat of your pants in this one for sure. We've seen some pro and semi-pro tournaments held on Chickamauga just below, you know, from where the takeoff is normally at Watts Bar, the one near the dam. Just, I mean, just down there, you hop in the river and you're at, you're at Dayton Boat Dock. And we see guys at Chickamauga lock through to Watts Bar and they go to fish a spot. So you said there's not necessarily a place that you're going to find a honey hole just based on time of the year, you know, how the lake is fishing. But do you feel a lot of the guys that have made that run from such a great lake like Chickamauga to a lake that may be not as great in people's minds as Watts Bar, is that to get away from pressure? And if that's the case, how are you going to get away from pressure without locking at Watts Bar? Is it is it going farther than other people? Is it going deeper, going shallower? What's what's the way and, and why have we seen people explore Watts Bar, even though the lake, you know, even though uh, they've been taking off at Chickamauga and other tournaments? Yeah, like, you know, if you're at Chickamauga in a prime time, you know, offshore time, you know, in that late April to July, Watts Bar can be an option because there isn't a lot of places a fish get. So, you know, during that prime time, you can get in some more virgin water than what your competitors are by going there. You know, there's not, you're not going to catch a winning bag on Watts Bar when you're on Chickamauga. But you could definitely catch a, a solid bag each day just to get away from pressure. And with our tournament, you know, it's one of the smallest uh, venues we go to. The very few places that fish can group up on, there's going to be too many people. They're super, super obvious. And I don't see them being grouped up this time of year. You know, it's, it's September. A lot of fish are transitioning, getting spread out. And they're not just going to be grouped up out deep for sure. And to get away from the crowd, in this one, I don't, I don't know of a way to do that. Um, personally, I'm, I'm going to go, I'm not going to run up a river. Um, I'm going to try not to fish dirt shallow, but I'm going to keep it from 20 foot to three foot. You know, I'm not going to be on the bank. I'm just going to be fishing hopefully as many specific targets as I can, whether it be a, a log offshore, a stump, a brush pile, like I was saying earlier. Um, probably fishing a lot of the same stuff everybody else is but just running a bunch of it, you know, running a lot of high percentage spots and making as many precision, you know, precise casts I can today. You obviously brought up, uh, you know, trying to get away from the crowd. That was one thing I wanted to bring up is that, you know, obviously in the opens when you're fishing with that many competitors on a body of water, um, it seems like a lot of times, like when I covered you at uh, Wheeler, you know, when, when it's an offshore type tournament uh, to any, degree you're going to fish around a crowd even though this is like a smaller body of water comparatively do you think it'll spread some guys out that are just going to be you know potentially fishing the bank and fishing um you know things that will how do i word this? like types of stuff that are on one end of the lake to the other i guess if that makes sense you think it's going to spread people out a little bit or do you still foresee uh you know numbers of people being in same areas yeah it's, it's going to be all the above i mean no matter where we've been this year um you'll see it closer to boats in the good areas. You know, we got too many good guys. We got too many boats on the water and we have five days of practice. So when everybody's on the water that long, they go through a good area. They know it, you know, they get bites on just random stuff in an area. And then you see closer to boats. The problem with Watts Bar, even though it's a TVA lake, even though there's some offshore stuff, there's not a lot of flat contours. There's not a lot of that, 15 to 20 foot of water off the bank. A lot of it is bluff to bluff. So you'll see a lot of people fishing bluffs up the river, laydowns and whatnot. And you'll see people down to the lower end. But yeah, it's going to be clustered no matter what you do, just because how small the venue is. Um, but you'll see people doing a lot of things because it's going to be tough no matter what you're doing. So I think come tournament time, you'll have a lot of people look back at their practice and say, nothing was that great. So they're going to go do what they're good at, whether that's, you know, fishing shallow or offshore. The taboo word of the year has been the abbreviation FFS. So uh, with forward facing <laughs> sonar, how has that factored in your game plan? Because I, I remember covering you 
in college. And, you know, obviously Kentucky Lake is your home lake, but it's a place they set up offshore, super deep ledges, super shallow bars. They could be on top of it, on the sides of it, on the end of it, so many different places. I've seen you roll up after takeoff to a spot and cast and catch them without forward-facing sonar. So how do you stay in touch with old school John Garrett of that's the way I fish the Tennessee river. And I, and I trust what I found in practice, how they set up. And I just know that instinctually versus do you peer down at it and, Oh shoot, they're, they're not where I think they are. And it makes you fish a little different, even though it makes you more efficient. Have you balanced that this year? What's been, what's how impactful has forward facing sonar been for you? So rolling that back to the old school, you know, Tennessee river fishing is I got really good and, and still am good at my side imaging. And I have found, you know, you follow Toledo Bend, um, you know, St. Lawrence, like I have found um, almost, and Wheeler where Kyle cover me, found almost all my places originally using my side imaging. Um, the same way I used to. And a lot of times with the forward facing is if fish are hugged on the bottom that isn't a real hard bottom where they're not up off of it, you really can't pick them up on forward facing. So those tournaments this year, I found them on my side imaging, was able to locate that precise cast and just bomb out there. Every now and then you can see them on your forward facing, but not all the time. So I would say about half the time this year, I found my places using my side imaging and really where my forward facing would come into play is I would find a stump or brush pile with my side imaging, throw my trolling motor down and make a precise cast right off the bat my forward facing, you know, hit that, hit that object on the first cast instead of maybe the 10th cast if I had not used it. So basically I'm fishing the way I used to with my finding stuff with my side imaging but more times than not, just being more efficient on my bait presentation with my forward facing. With that, along so along been a good mix of both. Yeah, and along the lines of that, you can relate it to Watts Bar if you want, but just in general, uh, there are always bite windows. You know, we always think the first hour of the day, at least when it gets to the summertime where it's the least hot, we're like, we're got to execute this time. But there's always times of day, whether it's 11 to noon, 1230 to 130 there's always another bite window within the tournament day where it's really you know goes bonkers if, if they're schooled up or if if they're on bushes they start biting you know that kind of thing have you seen fish that aren't in the feeding mode offshore you know that you would scan by them on your side imaging and be like these fish are up in the column they are not wanting to feed blah 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 but then now you've seen them literally change if you're fishing a spot at 10 o'clock, 1030, and it starts to get to that bite window and you so that see those fish actively moving to position to start feeding again. Have you been able to see that and learn from when, hey, these fish were probably inactive. I've been fishing for them for 20 minutes. Now it's getting to that time of the day or the current's turning on and now they're moving around to get to where they're about to to do a mess of work on some some bait fish that roll by or whatever. Yeah, for sure. Um, you know, there is times where I'm using my forward facing, you know, necessarily not on schools and those fish are biting great and that's a great bat to be on. And then I'm also have seen it to where you cannot make one bite, but most of the time throughout the day, there is some type of bite going on. So if I'm using my forward facing, I can't get fish to commit. I'm like, all right, let's go fish you know, for fish related to the bottom. And then sometimes those fish are biting. And if those fish aren't biting related to the bottom, like, all right, let's transition over to brush fish. So a lot of times where I would just keep hammering at the stone, you know, fishing for stuff that isn't working, I can visually see that that's not working a little easier. And, you know, it makes it be able to like, in my head, all right, I need to change something. These fish aren't in the mood at this time. But throughout the day, you got to keep stuff honest to where you check a little bit. And if it works, roll with it. And if you can't make it work, you know, don't try to force it. I don't know if that answered your question or not. No, but. no, for sure. For sure. And I think that just the visuals you get to see with a school of bass, 
and how they actively change, like watching some of these fish sit on the bottom of Cody Huff's, you know, unit at Champlain and they're all at the bottom and he drops his bait down and they just all come up to meet it. And you're like, there, that's, that's what you want to see. But there's oftentimes you're hanging it right above them and they're just sitting down there like little rocks on the bottom, not doing anything. You're like, why aren't they biting? And so seeing that actually change group to group has taught us a lot. Um, Sorry, Kyle, I didn't want to interrupt, but I, I knew you were about to ask something. No, I think that's a, a good point. I was I was going to add to that also with the, uh, you know, forward-facing sonar has certainly taught anglers a ton about bass activity and what they're doing, but then it kind of makes you wonder, you know, every once in a while, it's like, do they always act like this? Or are they only acting like this now because we have access to them? Like when, I don't I don't know, it's, it's kind of a, a funny thing to wonder. It's like, did they always do this? Like when we couldn't see them out there? Or like, is this changing now that like we have such access, accessibility to seeing what they're doing. So um, that'll be something that'll be interesting to see from like, like with an A-Rig, for instance, like when an A-Rig first came out, like it'd take it out of your rod or take the rod out of your hand when they bite <laughs> it. But you can throw an A-Rig now in a lot of places and it's like, it's no better than, you know, the the next thing you could throw. So it'd be interesting to see how that changes over the, uh, the course of the years. But, um, you know, speaking of over the course of the years, uh, Bethel University is a fish factory and obviously has created some or, you know, produced some some Bassmaster Elite Series talent already with Cody Huff, KJ Queen. Um, Will Davis. Got two guys this year. Yeah, Will Davis. Yeah, yeah. Uh, Matthew Cummins and Levi Mullins are going to be fishing the uh, the bracket this year. You know, obviously that that trend has continued in the right direction. Just tell us a little bit about your general, um, you know, experience through college and how you think that experience helped you today. And obviously, like Ronnie mentioned earlier, you fished with a group of hammers in college as well. That was some of the, the best Bethel teams we've, we've ever seen. Yeah, that, that group that you're talking about that I was fortunate enough to, to fish with, man, we learned so much from each other. You know, we all just kind of came in at the same year, no idea what to expect as far as college fishing or as far as college, really. And we all kind of roomed together, split a house up, and barely went to class. Just went to class just enough to get by. Some of us got by, some of us didn't. <laughs> and uh, we learned a lot about fishing and not a lot about math. I'll say that. So got guys like Cody and Brian Paul, and you got Cole Floyd and KJ and Garrett Enders. Like you got all these guys that are coming, you know, Missouri, Pennsylvania, Ohio, uh, Florida, KJ's from Carolina, all these guys coming to one place. And we learned so much off each other, you know, and yeah, we all spent a lot of time on TVA while we were there, but those techniques and knowledge that they brought, you know, to me and to everybody else, we just all fed off of each other. And we all kind of, we all really trust each other, great friends. And when we started fishing, you know, our freshman and sophomore year for y'all for the college bass series, we would go somewhere and we'd have four, five boats, uh, eight to 10 really good anglers. And we could break a body of water down insanely fast, you know, and we'd share stuff with each other and being able to do that. We all learned way more than I would say we were supposed to about just fishing in general. We are all getting to travel the country and like I said, you put all, all of us and everybody else on the water at the same time, we learned so much. And it was every day we were just soaking that knowledge in from each other. So that was a huge, huge benefit. Um, John, would you consider yourself? I got to say this too, oh, go, ahead, but... go ahead. Sorry. <clears throat> I was just going to say that uh, I've never told John this, and I guess I could publicly shame myself here. Um, in 2000, I guess it had been 18, uh, the college tournament at um, Toledo Bend. I, I can I can vividly remember we had a – we only got to practice for like two days. In the course of two days, we caught one keeper bass. It was in it was in January. You probably remember it was cold. It was miserable. Yeah. The, the fishing sucked, and I feel like it wasn't just for us. I thought maybe we just extremely sucked. But it was pretty bad for everybody. And we made our decision where we were going to start 
purely based on seeing John Garrett at six miles <laughs> during practice. Like there's gotta be some fish there. If he's fishing down here, this is a, this has gotta be our area. So uh, it didn't help us, but uh, you know, that was, that was something <laughs> like I've never told you. And I gotta, gotta get off my chest here on the podcast. I will say that I did make the last day cut fishing in, in six miles. So you were, you're barking up the right tree. <laughs> we just we were just too clueless to know what we were doing. <laughs> Speaking of that, that's what I was going to ask was you have three opens left. You don't want to count your chickens before they hatch. You're not sure which egg is going to pop up good, which one's bad, whatever the case may be. But we did announce the Elite Series schedule. And at the time of this, you know, we're, we're, this podcast is going up while you're practicing Watts Bar. But is that looking at the schedule, some guys are like, you know, it's never a bad time to qualify for the elite series, but there's some years that guys are like, dang, if I would have only qualified last year, I'd be able to fish my home lake. Or if I would have qualified in the year, I might have a good schedule. How do you feel about Toledo fork, uh, Harris chain and St. John's? Those are in April. And then you have Murray Wheeler, Smith, Champlain, St. Lawrence for the schedule. How do you feel about that and the way it lines up for John Garrett? I know you just want to be blessed enough to fish all nine, but um, <laughs> you know, it does kind of feel good when you go into maybe your rookie season, liking the schedule. Yeah. I, I don't necessarily like it, but I don't dislike it either. You know, I was fishing, you know, up until St. Lawrence and I got to thinking like almost all my success minus a few tournaments have been, offshore related tournaments and a lot of times y'all schedule is spring dominated which it kind of is this year but it's like a site fisherman's dream you know the drew benton's drew cooks like the guys that are super good up shallow site fishing you know they can feast off that early in the year and i was like man not looking forward to having to i know i want to learn how to fish shallow but like learn how to fish in shallow water tournaments against the best in the world, you know? So there's a few of those tournaments, even early, like Toledo and Fork, you know, there might be some fish on bed, but there's still some offshore fish to be caught. Uh, the two that I, that I see that I don't like are the Florida tournaments, the St. John's and Harris chain, never been the St. John's and Harris chain is, you know, probably not going to be a really good offshore tournament, but, Overall, I looked at the schedule. Like, yeah, yeah, maybe. You know, I was like, <laughs> yeah. I I looked at the schedule. And I was like, okay, I I could see maybe surviving some of these against those guys. Um, but yeah, I can retire the I same six like, XD all year. I'll just keep retiring. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I I was glad not to see as much sight fishing potential as what there is normally. I'll say that. Uh, so awesome. John, I'll ask you one more thing before we let you go. Uh, there's a lot of young viewers looking to fish the opens. There's a lot of older guys that are wanting to fish the opens and get there uh, or young guys fishing the college series. Do you see yourself as, as a natural talent or someone that has had to put in a lot of hours of hard work? We all want to be naturally gifted, but there are some guys that's just like, dude, I work. Brock Mosley says, I, I have to outwork my competition. I'm on the water earlier than them. I'm off the water later than them. And, and I have to put in the work to keep the level that I want to be at. Have you felt, because you've had really good success early in your, you know, your youth ages and your, in your teens and twenties, but it hasn't culminated to the exact success that you want, which is obviously qualifying or being in the classic every year. That's the deal. So for our younger or older viewers, people who are in a position like you, how do you classify yourself? And then also any words of encouragement or wisdom for those people who are really out of their league or on the other end of the spectrum, like so close to tasting the success and just keeping, just, just keep trying. Yeah, for sure. I, I would say that like, I do like, I'm not saying a natural, but like I can catch fish fairly well and, you know, some, most of the time easily when I get on them, when I get around them. But my problem is I am not as good at finding fish as a lot of people that I know are. Like, I put in a ton of work off the water and when I'm on the water. Like, I'm daylight to dark, hard as I can go all day. And I, I just, like, always in my head, I feel like I know where I should find fish. But, like, I struggle so hard finding 
multiple areas to fish. Um, but when I do find something, most of the time I could catch them way better than most people. Um, so I would say me putting in the work on finding those fish is what really leads to my success because uh, you know I, I can catch them fairly easy but my my struggle is finding them um, every time I find some I feel like I can outfish most of the people like I said but I have to work very hard at it so I, I would say both I say work ethic and having a natural gift on catching them um, so kind of outlook on other people that might be in the position you're talking about is fish your strengths and work as hard as you can at fishing your strengths. I mean, being versatile is great and you got to pull that out sometimes, but if you work hard and you have a natural gift, you know, it, it will definitely play in your favor because a lot of people you see, I could throw some names out, but I'm not going to like, it just looks so easy for them. Like they're not breaking hardly a sweat. They're doing their job and, they're just going out and fish falling their live well. And that's just not the way it goes for me. I got to put in a lot of work. So putting in work and if you have that natural talent, it'll come to you for sure. So having the natural talent is always great, but putting in the work is something that you can control for sure. Well, Kyle, John has certainly put in the work. I'll drop a stat. I don't know if John knows this. His bank account knows this, but if he has forgotten it, <laughs> 10 of the last 11 opens that John Garrett has fished. We only pay the top 40. He has gotten a check in his worst finish out of those 11, a 60th at the St. Lawrence last time playing it safe. I guarantee you 220 other anglers in the opens would love to play it safe and get a 60th place finish. Uh, so congratulations on this hot streak you're on. It's not a surprise to any of us. And uh, three more events, man. Like I said, to start the show, six guaranteed days. And and you don't even have to fish the final day, just six really good days. And you could be on the Bassmaster Elite Series stage next year. If you do have three really good days in a tournament, you might be in the Classic as well. So we'll hope to see you there as well. But, John, thanks for previewing Watts Bar a little bit with us and talking about you as an angler, your college history, and uh, your outlook going forward. So I appreciate it, man. Be safe and, and good luck this week at Watts Bar. Yep, appreciate you all having me on. Kyle, John Garrett, uh, our guest today, fantastic angler. I've covered John and some of the best moments he's had on the water and some of the worst moments. I brought it up the other day when Jacob Fouts won the college classic bracket on Serpent Lake in Minnesota. Uh, something happened with John's boat. You know how college boats are. Something happened with John's boat, and he ended up fishing out of my boat. I said, I don't need a big motor. I'll just troll around and take photos. It's a small enough lake. So he he ran my boat in the bracket to try to, to, try to win. Um, everything was cleared by officials, but I've seen him in his lowest moments at times being so close to qualifying. And, and like you said, trying to do the math as it happens on the final day weigh in to see who makes it. He has been tech. Hey, let me know when you know the points, let me know when you know the points. Um, so I know that he would be an asset and a, and a, and a good addition to the elite series if he gets it done these last three events. Yeah, that's what's so crazy. I, I've had this conversation with some people in the office in the past is, you know, John, although he has not made it yet, is almost more impressive than the some of the guys that have. And what I mean by that, he's so consistently every single year right there. So you put that in perspective, like if you're fishing the Elite Series and you're that consistently like, you know, fourth to 10th place, granted, it, the Opens and the Elites, I mean, there's there's certainly differences in, in the scheduling, the the points um the the talent even obviously that's that's one of them but like how consistently right there he's been it's you know how many people have you heard say that it's not a matter of if it's just when uh you know john garrett is going to fish the Bassmaster elite series as long as he wants to so um obviously i think this year has not been a surprise to anybody like you mentioned um and i think you could make the reasonable argument that uh, the reason he didn't win the bracket is because he was fishing out of your boat, which makes way more sense now that we look back on that moment uh, in in hindsight. That was one of the that was back in the day. I didn't have one of those fancy magic boxes on the front that catches all the fish. That was before that. That was before it it was uh, developed and and widely mass produced. Um, it's crazy. Days. Yeah, back in the good old days when fishermen fished and you know and video game players played video games. Um, so. What I'll say about the numbers, when you look at a Bassmaster Anglers tournament page, sometimes it can be deceiving. The times in the money number 
when it comes to the elite series, we've had elite series seasons where every single position, every single tournament gets paid. So times in the money, everyone went nine for nine. It just depended on how big your check was. Were they $10,000 checks? Were they 2,500? Were they $5,000 checks? So some of the elite anglers stats are skewed for the money numbers, but we always refer to guys as making the cut. The top 50 gets you a $10,000 check in the opens. Top 40 gets you paid in general. Looking at his deal, if he fishes these last three opens and doesn't make a check, God forbid that happened, but the last three events he doesn't make a check, he will be exactly 50% check rate. And in the opens, that is absolutely phenomenal. That is basically saying, I don't care how much money is in his bank account, but 50% of it, 50% of the time, he's fished a 200-plus boat event. He's got top 40. That is absolutely phenomenal. He's 21 out of 39 right now. And that's just purely the uh, the opens. And the classic was a guaranteed one as well. But he almost made the top 25. He got in the top half of the field at Conroe that year, um, whether he made the top 25 or not, because it's it's not exactly 50%. It's a little, little less than that for the final day. But John Garrett, absolutely phenomenal. Family is absolutely phenomenal. Um, great people. I think I remember my trim going out or I lost a bunch of fluid in my, in my, in my trim. I couldn't trim up and down. And uh, his grandfather just let me take it to the shop and he worked on it and fixed it for me. So I could cover a tournament. I wasn't even fishing a tournament. I was covering a tournament, but I couldn't get on pad and uh, just great, great people in general. Um, John's put in a lot of work and uh, I know that no matter what, you know how it is. You look at an elite schedule, you think it lines up for you. That'll be your worst year out there. You look at an elite schedule, you're not sure about it, ends up being your AOI season. So whether he likes him or doesn't like him, I think that John will rise to the occasion if he does and when he does make the elite series. Yeah, no question. It'll be one of those things we keep an eye on, obviously, for the last three tournaments, um, seeing where he's at each and every day and just, you know, waiting, I guess, is is the best way you can put it. Obviously, it would take, um, you know, knock on some wood, it would take quite the meltdown, I guess, to – um, you know, completely fall out, but you know, it's one of those deals. We're just going to have to take it day by day, just like he's going to and, and see where the points lie. And I'm sure, um, like we were saying, even just from this upcoming event between then and the end of the season, there's going to be a a ton of changes. So, um, we'll see how all that's going to play out and think we're all excited to see. Let's before we let, let our viewers go on the podcast today, I'm going to go right back through the points race one more time. I, I knew the 100 point thing was some kind of trend, but it's basically 100 points from first to 10th. So the, the qualifiers currently for the Bassmaster Elite Series from the Opens are separated by basically 100 points, half of an Elite Series or half of an Opens field size. 100 points from JT Tompkins down to Brett Cannon, first to 10th. It's only 60 points from 10th to 21st. So guys like Bobby Lane is 21st, Andrew Upshaw 22nd. Those guys are all just 60 points or so away in three events. That's very, very doable. 60, you can be you can be 21st and jump up into 10th after one event. So keep an eye on that. When we look at some of those names below the classic qualification or the elite qualification line right now, we have Jacob Bigelow. He's a Sturgeon Bay guy up in Wisconsin region. Kyle Austin, Santee Cooper guy, Cody Stahl. I don't know where you would call home. Maybe a the Georgia side of Ufala, maybe a West Point, something like that. Cody Stahl, a former college angler at, at SCAD. You got Ben Milliken, 14th. Logan Parks, 15th. Wesley Gore, 16th. I'll just say this, and we get Sam George. I, 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 I want to keep saying names so I don't leave anybody off, but it's just another good name after another good name. If you look at 11th through 20th right now, Kyle, I would take those guys as our rookie class next year. And they're the first 10 out of qualification. I would be cool with those guys being our 10 rookies as well as the 10 who were in it. Let's see if we can do the same thing from 21st to 30th. Bobby Lane, Andrew Upshaw, Trevor McKinney, Jack Dice, Kurt Mitchell, Chris Blanchett, Adam Rasmussen, Tyler Williams, Shane Campbell, Derek Lettinen. I mean, these are guys that are hammers in their local region that we've already had on Bass Live before, or they've been college champions like I think Chris Blanchett at South Carolina, uh, former FLW Tour Pro, Kurt Mitchell. You have Jack Dye, like literally so many. And you just go into the 30s, Jake Maddox, Casey Scanlon, Clark Ream, Jack York, Blake Smith, Dale Hightower, Ty Faber. I covered Ty Faber in a team championship event at Kentucky Lake one year. When he was from, I think he's from like Utah or Idaho. Like, and I I just remember the name. Absolutely a stacked 
top 40 in points. Um, and I could go from 40 to 50. And if that was our rookie class, it would be a great one too. It's absolutely phenomenal how the cream has risen to the top this year. And I would say top 25, still well in reach of making the elite series. After each of these last three events, we can kind of start to narrow it down on the podcast and see who it's kind of getting. You better pop a top 40 soon, you know, for some of these guys. So, um, but man, anything you got about the, uh, the quality of the guys in this gauntlet of nine events, six in the books right now that are still in position. It's, it's phenomenal seeing so many big names still, still right there. Yeah, no question. It's like looking at uh, Alabama's football roster and you're like, well, there's, there's a pile of five stars. And then you get down to the bottom of the lineup and you're like, well, there's some more five stars and some more five stars. And you're like, well, where does this end? Like, where does the, where do we see an outlier? Where's, where's our one three star, uh, un, un, you know, unranked guy. Yeah, it is certainly interesting, The you know, when you put it that way, when you look at the top 10 and you separate them by 10 from like 10 to 20, 20 to 30, and you're like, if you'd have told me before the season that any of this, any of these 10, like groups of 10 would have been our rookie class, like you wouldn't be surprised by any of it. So um, just to, goes to show you how competitive the Opens are. They've always been competitive and it it's getting to the point that it's only going to get more competitive um as as the years go by on the eqs yeah absolutely I, I always think it's funny it's like an alabama d lineman who's six foot five 315 pounds but he's sixth string so he's only got three tackles for his college stats but he's going to be a second round pick because he's a yeah. former five star at alabama that that really didn't get to play <laughs> he's still a quality talent so I look forward to it. Uh, next episode of the podcast, we'll be previewing the Ozarks. We got them back-to-back. -back. The one thing we haven't had this year is back-to-back -back opens. We've done it with the elites a couple times. Back-to-back -back opens. Uh, Watts bar, no rest for the weary. Got to get to the Ozarks. And before we know it, Kyle, there'll be one event left. So I look forward to the podcast preview of Ozarks. Um, and like we said, Bassmaster Live, final day, top 10. We're going to be able to see it all go down for Watts Bar. So for the Inside Bassmaster podcast presented by Black Rifle Coffee Company, I'm your host, Ronnie Moore. That's Kyle Jesse, our co-host. We are out of here. Next time you'll see us is previewing the Ozarks, but also the next time you'll see us is coverage of the Opens on the water, probably by Kyle. And you'll see me and I believe Mark Menendez will be my guest at Watts Bar uh, on Saturday for the Bassmaster Opens on FS1 and Bassmaster.com. We'll see you later.